Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting live 
Tracking who we meet And call this liberty disasters running uh, in a row. We had uh, icy weather come in, and uh, I had uh, pipes breaking in all the houses up here. And we've got, I'm at my home here on the on the property, and there's six other homes that I have to maintain, you know, at the same time. And uh, it uh, did a number on some of them. And I guess it hasn't gotten that cold in quite a few years. Because I found out, I found a lot of flaws in some of the plumbing designs and stuff. It uh, it caused the water not fully drain out of pipes and things like that. But we're back. We're back on the run now. And I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, about the importance of making sure that uh, Americans understand how important rifle marksmanship is to our nation. And uh, and it seems simple, and yet it's very complicated uh, to get this idea across and to give a competent explanation of the need for it. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, the battles of February. We the we covered the battles of uh, Trenton and Princeton, and then we talked about the Forge Wars, which ran from. Uh, January until about March, but there were uh, there were several different engagements that occurred uh, during the eight years of the American Revolutionary War, and we're going to we're going to talk about those real quickly, as well as an after action report for the uh, five day combat tactical tracking course that John Hurth from uh, Tier Group uh, over in Louisiana that he brought to Texas, and then we'll talk about. Uh, the importance of ensuring that you are continuing to think and act on your preps on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, all right? So now we're going to be talking about vehicles. 
because you spend a great deal of your time in your vehicles. Vehicles uh, uh, are the the places you're you're in a vehicle when you have a car accident, right? So uh, we're going to be talking about uh, vehicles, their importance, and their importance as far as uh, where they fit into your prep. Uh, first off, I want to thank uh, Poker Face. <clears throat> That's the uh, the intro music that you hear. And we let it run. I let the, the song run the whole thing. I don't cut it off, but I want you to hear the whole thing. And uh, Poker Face has been kind enough to let us use their music uh, for the last couple of years. They're a great bunch of guys uh, doing, the, doing their part in uh, promoting freedom and liberty. You know, you don't have to... Uh, you don't have to get a sign and and take it out in front of the White House. Uh, you don't have to. Uh, uh, there's plenty of ways that you can that you can plug yourself in to ensuring that that the freedoms that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation that they are defended and uh, that they are maintained and. The guys in Poker Face have decided that they want to do it through music, and they do a great job of it, all right? They are trying to get the freedom and liberty out in music. And uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, they have started up a uh, an event, and I guess it's going to be like a yearly event now, called Freedom Palooza. And uh, <clears throat> they're going to be running it this year. Uh, July 4th, 5th, and 6th. And uh, this is going to be in Pennsylvania, where Route 611 and 32 meet along the Delaware River in Kittnersville, Pennsylvania. All right? So if you're, if you're not already uh, committed to something, it's July 4th, 5th, and 6th. Think about uh, heading on over to uh, to Bucks County in Pennsylvania, spending the weekend there. They've, they're trying to make it as family-oriented as they possibly can, and uh, it'll run all the way from uh, you know, from nature-loving, uh, barefoot, uh, freedom-motivated hippies to uh, to folks uh, uh, on the shooting range. And uh, they're going to have a lot of good music and uh, they'll have camping. Like I said, it's family-oriented. They want you to go. They want you to have fun. They don't want to tell you you can't drink. But they don't want you to get drunk and uh, start punching each other in the face either, right? So they want to keep it as family-oriented as they can. No uh, no hard drugs, no uh, hard liquor, and uh, punching each other in the face, right? <clears throat> That's going to be July 4th, 5th, and 6th. Now, Paul has also told me that he wants to have an apple seed presence there. And uh, I'm going to do my best to try and get there, but uh, he's got some slots, some speaker slots that are still open. And uh, and I'm sure that he would love to work with uh, us in Appleseed. So if you would like to uh, attend the Freedom Palooza, July 4th, 5th, and 6th, then shoot me an email, Scout all one word, lowercase, uh, at gmail.com, and uh, uh, and we'll try and work it out and try and get a uh, an apple seed present there. Right, they had a lot of folks last year, and it looks like it's going to be even bigger this year. 
And Pennsylvania is probably an area that uh, we could use a little bit more help in. So it would be a great place to uh, contact and uh, and hopefully tap into the, the freedom movement there. <clears throat> All right, once again, if you want to... Uh, if you want to get involved, shoot me an email. Give me a call, 254-217-1325. That's my, my phone number, not the show number. But we do want you to call in tonight on the show and uh, thank your local crews. Now, to call into the show, uh, you can call 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. And I want you guys to call in. I have, you know, I've got to pay for the phone lines, and the reason I do that is so that you can call in. You can call in. Tell your local crews thanks, because we ride these guys hard. We ride all of the guys in the Appleseed Project hard. We put them away wet, and we uh, we expect them to do the job, not because they're getting payment or anything else from it, but because it's their duty, it's their responsibility to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation, and they've decided to do it by pushing the Appleseed mission. Nonetheless, and it never hurts anybody to hear that they're doing a good job. And that's what we, we leave the front end of the show open so that you can tell folks they're doing a good job. So if there's somebody in your crew that's doing a good job, uh, call them to the show. Call them to the show and, uh, and let, everybody, uh, let everybody across the world know that you think the guys uh, in your area are doing a good show. Name their names, uh, tell them thanks, and uh, and uh, and get it out over the air. Also, if you want to give an after-action report on an event you just had, let folks know how the event went. Uh, you know what went right, what went what went uh, wrong, or uh, or if you want to tell us about an upcoming event, we'd love to hear about that too. We this is. The uh, the radio show was initially designed so that we can we can talk back and forth to each other and make sure that uh, that everybody is kind of hearing things from everybody else and uh, we still want to do that so be sure and give us a call three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero tell your local crews thanks let us know what's coming up uh, in your neck of the woods or what just happened how it went and uh, and we'll get that out over the road to everybody. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I would like uh, my uh, my partner, if he's listening tonight, I think he said he he worked overtime uh, the last couple of months with uh, <clears throat> with the uh, uh, I'm not going to say which what or what he's doing, but uh, he worked overtime so. That he had tonight off. So, uh, Mark, call in if you're listening, and uh, we're going to talk about some stuff that uh, he and I are doing. And uh, while I'm waiting for him to call in, I want to uh, to tell folks how the the five day combat tactical tracking course went that uh, we just had here with John Hertz from Tier Group. I remember a few weeks ago, John came on the uh, radio show and he talked about uh, about what he does, about what he teaches, about uh, combat tracking. <clears throat> and uh, I want to tell you guys, man, there were ten of us that were here, 
uh, run through the course, a five-day course. And uh, quite a few of the guys uh, came early. Uh, one of the guys flew in from Germany and uh, uh, did some hog hunting before the course. The course started out great. Now, the, all of us who were here early uh, managed to get uh, some some really wonderful weather. We got uh, the 20-degree uh, uh, rainy, sleety snow weather and uh, just about froze uh, to death because here in Texas, it's not... It's not like you the temperature starts going down and you start getting cooler and colder and and uh and you get acclimatized to it and then it kind of stays cold until <laughs> here uh it's eighty five ninety one day and then uh, the day after that it drops down to twenty degrees and it's twenty degrees for a couple of days and then it goes back up to seventy. And then it'll go back down to uh, to 30 degrees. And it'll shoot back up to 83. Uh, so, so we rarely get a chance to get uh, get any kind of climatization going on it, and uh, and it gets rough. But uh, John and uh, and uh, John Hertha and Kevin McKee uh, pulled in on Thursday. And uh, we got them all set up. The course ran Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, we started the course Wednesday morning. It's a nice, uh, tight 20 degrees. <clears throat> and John's got to be one of the, the most professional instructors uh, that I've worked with. And uh, he did a fantastic job. And I, I had to laugh a couple of times because we're all freezing. And John's giving the instruction. He's doing an excellent job of it. You wouldn't know that it was 20 degrees, other than then uh, he started getting the involuntary, uh, you know, muscle movements in his in his face and neck and hands and stuff while he's doing the instruction. But we worked uh, the first day on the track pit, and this is where you're learning to start interpreting sign. And we're not just talking about footprints; we're talking about Every bit of sign that's left behind when somebody does something, and it can be everything, and and it can be everything and anything that that will leave a sign, and then you are going to have to try interpret what it was. And I'm really amazed at how much information you can gather from sign that has been left behind by uh, someone, and uh, and we were usually able to to gather close to about 70% or so of what happened. And uh, you do this by by looking at uh, where somebody's footprints enter into an area, where they exit. You start determining how many people they were by identifying each of the prints, seeing who they belong to, uh, being able to tell if they were in a hurry, if they were walking slowly, if they were carrying uh, weight, if they were favoring one side or the other, how big they were by the size of their shoes and the depth of their their imprint. Uh, then, uh, uh, and then checking to see if they have left any other sign besides footprints, because it could be uh, somebody uh, smoking a cigarette, and, uh, and maybe the ashes are still there where they were standing or the cigarette butt might even be there. Or there could be some areas where they uh, were chewing tobacco and they were spitting. Or they could be spitting without chewing any tobacco. 
and it's still going to be there. It's still going to leave a sign. They could be uh, urinating or defecating. Uh, somebody could have a wound and be bleeding, and you would be, you should be able to start trying to determine uh, where the wound was on their body by the type of blood and the amount that you see, if it's arterial, if it's uh, oxygenated blood, uh, if it's venous blood, uh, things like that. <clears throat> if they were carrying anything with them, if somebody's walking with a cane, if uh, somebody was walking on crutches, if they were carrying something uh, and they set it down for a second, a suitcase, a backpack, a rifle butt, uh, any of these things, and you start building a picture of the person that, or the individual or individuals that you are uh, investigating, <clears throat> and you start putting it all together, trying to figure out what they did. Uh, you see a couple of sets of tracks that uh, enter from two different directions. Uh, one is, uh, you know, walking regular. One looks like you can tell that they start running from the impression. The stride gets lighter, I mean, gets longer. Uh, the throw-off from the end of the toe starts uh, spraying out. And then you can see that uh, they engage in some type of a physical conflict. Then you see uh, pressing on the ground and flattening where somebody went down on the ground. You see hand prints of where they tried to get up and knee, knee prints. And then you end up seeing uh, drag marks dragging out of there. And so you can start building an idea of what exactly happened uh, who did what, you may, you may not ever know why or or anything else, but you can get an idea of what, to a certain extent, of what was happening uh, at a certain location. And uh, we worked on that uh, pretty much most of the day. And uh, then the next day, we did the same thing. We started working on the pit. And uh, and we worked in teams. You know, we'd work in two teams. Uh, and uh, one group would lay tracks, and it may be one person, or it may be, a, maybe all four or five or six people uh, that uh, laid tracks along this road. And, uh, and they would act out some scenario. Then the other team would have to come up and say, all right, here's what we think happened. Uh, you know, three guys, three guys came in this way. Uh, pause, they they went down uh, on a knee facing in different directions. We can see uh, a rifle butt here. So it looks to us like they, that these guys were armed. They were acting in some type of a security or military fashion. They faced out in different directions and then two of them met uh, in the center of the group and they drew out uh, like a little diagram of, of of something. We don't know what it was, but but they drew out a diagram of something. Then they all got back up and they moved out. And uh, there was, you name it, there were there were tons of different scenarios, and we would have to uh, investigate, determine the number of folks, their entrance and exit points, and uh, our best deduction on what happened there. And tracking just like John was talking about the other day, tracking is not some type of voodoo or magic. There's no communing with the trees or uh, asking Brother Wolf or Brother uh, 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 Brother Raccoon uh, who went through the forest. It's a science. And 
uh, it will give you a great deal of information, but you have to know what you're looking for. You have to be able to, to uh, interpret this sign that's left there. <clears throat> then uh, we began working on tracking as a team on the second day, and, uh, and that's where uh, we split up the two teams, and one team of uh, five guys would move off in a certain uh, direction. We wouldn't be watching them. We would just, uh, we would we'd be behind a berm or down in a, a creek bottom or depression or something, and uh, they would move off. We'd give them about uh, 20 minutes until they were out of sight or under cover, and then we would start moving, trying to, uh, to ascertain, ascertain where they had went, how many of them there were, what they were doing, and uh, that would go on for about... Uh, you know, maybe a quarter or a half mile, um, sometimes a mile, and then we would switch off. And uh, we did it all day. And one of the things I liked about uh, about John and Kelly is that uh, you go to a lot of different courses, and you'll go to these courses, and you'll you know you'll they'll be advertised as uh, you know forty hours of uh, coursework or or 20 hours of coursework, et cetera. And you'll be there for 20 hours or 40 hours, but every 15 or 20 minutes, there'll be a 10-minute break. So you're getting ripped off for, uh, you know, up to uh, up to 20 minutes uh, an hour. So uh, I, I don't uh, – I'm not a big one on breaking. You know, I've got uh, – I've got usually got water on me or in my pocket or something – I'm so snacks in my pocket. I learned this. This is stuff all of us have learned from Appleseed, right? And uh, and John didn't do that, man. He said uh, we're gonna have ten hours a day. We had ten plus hours a day. There's no breaks. There's no stopping. Uh, other than if you were at uh, if you were switching off on a team, uh, the rest of the time it was solid instruction the whole way. And I, I appreciate that. I like that because folks. If I if I travel all the way from Germany or France, you know, a guy uh, we had a French guy with us too. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to come to a course so that I can suck up uh, you know three or four hours of downtime. I want I want every minute uh, to be uh, you know instruction. That's what this was. The uh, third day we began uh, we began working on the tactical part of this because one of the problems with the tracking is that the person doing the tracking has to have their head down. They've got to have their head down on the track line, and that's what they got to be paying attention to, down on the ground and figuring out where these tracks are going, looking for sign. They can't be looking anywhere else. They've got to be looking down on the ground. And if you're tracking a man or if you're tracking a dangerous game, that's a problem because you can track yourself right into an ambush. You can track yourself right into a dangerous situation. So you have to have the other members on your team have to be providing security for you. And uh, so that's how we were working. Uh, We were learning how to keep the tracker safe while he was doing his mission. I mean, each of us was rotating in and out of these positions. And uh, it's not that different. If, if you guys have worked with, uh, uh, if you've been in the military and worked like on 
on a search team or a scout team or something like that. It's not that different. You know, you're you're going to be scouting. You're going to be up front uh, as a as a lead scout or something for a while. But you can't be a lead scout forever because uh, you start getting burnt or tired, start missing things. So you start getting rotated out. And that way everybody gets a job uh, running uh, flanker. They get a job uh, running team leader or uh, they get a job tracking, and we get that. Then we, uh, by Saturday, we began working as uh, as tactical teams, two teams that were tracking each other. And, and then at that point, we started... Uh, we started actually being dangerous to each other. You know, we tried to lead false trails. We would hook around so that we could ambush uh, the folks coming down the track lines. Uh, there were booby traps set up, all kinds of different things, so that so that you get some kind of uh, uh, you know experience with seeing what. Uh, what a false track line would look like or when somebody's trying to throw you off their track, stuff like that. And then understanding that uh, that man tracking is an inherently dangerous uh, task for you to take up. If you're trying to track some person other than if you're trying to track them uh, because they're lost or something like that, that there are a lot of dangers uh, involved in it. And uh, certainly... The closer you get to your quarry, the more dangerous it becomes. Because if they feel like if they feel like they can't get away from you, then they're going to try and hurt you to try and stop you from from uh, from continuing on the track. And uh, and so that lasted all day uh, on Saturday. Then Sunday, we started working as. Uh, an integrated team of trackers. And this is normally how, uh, at its best, how tracking teams work. And that's how you have uh, uh, two or more, hopefully more, teams that uh, set out to track together as units. And you do this because the, the whole time that you're tracking somebody, uh, you're, gonna, you're trying to close the distance between you and them. You're trying to find, fix, and finish your quarry. But it's hard to do that uh, if you're moving very slowly and you're trying to ferret out sign that's hard to find. However, there, once you're on a track line and your quarry is uh, showing a consistent movement in a certain direction, or that you know that uh, up ahead uh, a mile and a half from you on this direction, there's going to be a creek line they're going to have to cross or something like that, one team can stay on the the trail of the quarry right there. The other team can bound up and start running the uh, the creek line looking for their sign. If they catch the sign there, they can call you up. And then that way you can start closing the distance between yourself and the quarry. Uh, the other part is, is if you were on a group of uh, five guys as a tracking team and you run into some trouble, then there's just the five of you. Uh, and I know that uh, when I was working on a LERP team, <clears throat> there was just the five of us. And, uh, and our big rule was never, ever, ever get into a gunfight. Never, ever 
shoot at anybody. Uh, and then uh, the the next uh, big rule was always run away. And uh, and certainly that's because with only five of us and usually no uh, no type of close support or anything else, we just couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford to get into any kind of a fight because even just one of us catching around completely destroys the ability of our team to do anything. One guy catches around, he's got two guys to carry him. Then at least two other people left. And uh, the same thing with the tracking unit. So if you do end up tracking yourself into uh, an engagement to contact, this way you would have the other team that you can call on. That hopefully uh, we ran through all the drills. Uh, we drilled over and over in uh, in making contact and withdrawing from contact and the Australian fields, uh, everything we could to try and make sure that if we uh, if we were engaging with our quarry, that uh, we're doing it in a uh, intelligent fashion. The uh, the team that engaged would hold the the quarry down while the uh, secondary unit uh, would make a hard drive to flank them and then to drive through them. And, uh, and that's what we did on Sunday. We uh, On Sunday, we ran the whole day as uh, two teams working together. And uh, and it really went well. I'm telling you, if you uh, – and and I'm, I'll just, I'm sure just about every one of you guys did miss this because uh, there were only 10 of us there. You missed a great event. And <clears throat> But here's the thing. Uh, no need to cry yet because uh, we're going to have John come back for a, uh, a three-day course. That's so it can be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday course so the folks uh, don't have to take a lot of time off. That will be uh, probably by the end of summer. Unless, uh, unless I get a whole bunch of people telling me they want to do it before then, uh, because we'll need ten folks uh, to uh, uh, to fill the class out for us to have it. We'll do a three-day course, and then uh, probably in October, or so we'll run another five-day course, and uh, that'll give you guys another chance to attend this. The course is actually is a fantastic course because it is it's not just it's a whole uh it's a whole frame of mind, right? It's a whole frame of mind. It's like uh like playing chess in the dirt. <clears throat> and uh and you will benefit from it. All of the folks who attended uh are all uh, pretty much hard and fast uh uh comrades now. Uh, even if they didn't know each other before. <laughs> we shared a uh, a week of uh, working with each other and uh and doing about uh, 25 miles uh, worth of tracking. And uh, and we'll probably be friends for the rest of our lives now. All right? That's one of the benefits that uh, folks usually don't talk about. But it's the same thing as apple seed. You go to an apple seed, and you meet some of the folks who attend, and uh, they end up turning out to be lifelong friends, uh, especially if you decide to become uh, part of the instructing team. And and once you're in the family of instructors, 
you're in a family, you're in a group of some of the absolute best folks that you'll find in uh, in America. Some of the absolute best. I'm not saying that we don't have uh, that we don't have folks that uh, that aren't like uh, porcupines, you know. Uh, very hard to uh, very hard to hug without uh, without uh, getting some spines in you. Uh, we do. We're just like uh, just like anybody else. But the majority of all of these folks that you're going to meet uh, either at an event or especially part of the uh, instructor family, they're going to be the top of the line folks, the top of the line folks that this nation has to offer. All right. This is a uh, this is a benefit that uh, we don't talk about really that much. Uh, but it's an actual benefit of being a part of the Appleseed uh, Project team. Okay. Uh, and uh, one last thing that I want to uh, to remind you guys of, and that is that uh, we're coming up on uh, the end of the world as we know it. Uh, Zombie Destruction Running Gun. That's April 26th. That's the weekend after the uh, the April 19th event here in the villa. And uh, you guys, uh, uh, a lot of you guys, I'm sure a lot of you guys uh, listening tonight probably uh, went to one of the last ones we have. But <clears throat> getting better. Uh, the uh, the Running Gun is a four and a half mile looping trail with eight shooting stations along it for rifle and pistol. And then there are obstacles and problems that will have to be worked out between the stations. And uh, this is the this is the perfect way to test your gear because I have folks that I talk to all the time uh, in the prepping community, the shooting community, the self-reliance and, and defense community that say, you know, if something happens, there's some uh, type of, you know, world collapse or a natural or man-made disaster or, or who knows what. If something happens and I have to defend myself and my family, I'm going to use this backpack. I'm going to use, I'm going to carry my mags like this. I'm going to wear these boots. I'm going to use this rifle. I'm going to use this pistol. I'm going to carry my water like this. And uh, And I always ask them, I said, well, have you ever put it all on at once and walked around? And a lot of times they may say, well, yeah, I've put it on before, but uh, the majority of them haven't put it on with uh, with their canteens full of water and their backpack full of their stuff, their mag pouches full of, uh, lo- of uh, mags that uh, are prepped and taken off. And... Uh, and walked even a hundred yards, let alone, uh, you know, four or five miles, or did any shooting or anything while they were uh, wearing their gear. Well, that's what this is intended to do. We want you to test and make sure that uh, that you're working out the kinks in it, because I learn stuff about my gear every single time I do one of these things. I do them here. I do Smoky Bricks' run out in West Texas. And uh, and I'll tell you, if you've got something wrong with your gear, you're going to find out about it in the first three or four hundred yards. It's going to it's going to make itself very evident usually. And 
the time to find out that you have something wrong with your gear. Hello? The time to find out is, uh, looks like the lights went out on my phone. Is, uh, is this still going out? If you can hear me, uh, If you can hear me, give me. Let me know that uh, you can still hear me, Sam. You're still on there, uh, Scout. Can you? Am I still going out? You're still going out. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, somebody, somebody else call on the phone, and uh, and then it looks like the lights on the phone went out. So, all right. Anyway, the. Uh, the running gun is designed to to test your gear. It's designed to test your shooting skills uh, because this isn't you sitting down, uh, you know, at the bench shooting or laying on the ground at an apple seed. This is you actually moving uh, through terrain and having to shoot. And uh, at the same time, you're going to be testing your stamina. That means you're not just standing there shooting. You're moving uh, sometimes you're moving a good distance. You may move a mile and a half to get one from one shooting station to the next. And then you're going to have to shoot. And uh, so you're going to be testing your gear. You're going to be seeing your stamina, your your athletic uh, uh, physical abilities. And you're going to be testing your shooting skills. And uh, this is a great way to put them all together and see how you do. Now, none of the... None of this is designed to break you. You don't have to run the running gun. You can walk the running gun. Uh, none of the obstacles are uh, are designed to break you. They're just designed to 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 show you some possibilities, uh, some possible difficult areas you might uh, counter while you are having to move with your gear and stuff on. Like uh, at the beginning of the course uh, last year, uh, I set up a uh, a wall that you have to go over. It's just a field wire, stock panels, and uh, telephone poles and stuff, and you have to climb up, uh, I don't know, 14, 15 feet, go over the top down the other side, which is no problem. But a lot of people show up with these single-point slings and stuff like that, which is good if you're if you're manning a roadblock or something like that. Or if you are, uh, if you're clearing a house and you need to drop the rifle and grab your pistol or something, it's not so great if you're going to have to climb over stuff, right? But then it's just hanging down. So this just, uh, there are just different obstacles that you'll have to negotiate to show you that there are things that uh, that you may have to uh, may have to do, and how your gear is going to work in those situations. Okay, so uh, you can go to uh, the website, which is uh, www.battleroadusa.com, and uh, and get signed up there for the event. It's going to be April 26th, and uh, the cost is 100 bucks, and you're going to get uh, some lunch and a T-shirt. With that, so that means we're not getting as, we're not getting as nearly as much as uh, 
uh, as we would like of your 100 bucks because of food costs a good bit. And the t-shirts are quality t-shirts. And uh, But you're going to be – you'll also be meeting a bunch of folks at the running gun who probably are uh, like-minded uh, folks from Appleseed. We get uh, a lot of the Appleseed folks that uh, want to do this. And you get uh, the self-reliance folks and stuff like that that uh, – and they come from uh, all over the United States, you know, to to do this. So, uh, oh yeah, and I also want to let you know that uh, we've already sold uh, a quarter of the tickets. We're limiting the run to a hundred, just because a hundred folks is about all the time we're going to have to do this. Because uh, you know, you start folks off uh, like every five minutes, we'll start an additional runner, and. Uh, and that keeps folks from getting backed up at stations and, you know, keeps a little bit of distance between the runners. But uh, about 100 folks is about all we're going to be able to do, uh, plus the the uh, 30 or 40 RSOs that are going. So 130 folks is going to be about as many as we can handle. So we have uh, the registration is open. You can go to the, uh, the BattleRoadUSA.com. Click on the running gun, and uh, that'll take you to the running gun page. And then you can go to Eventbrite from there and get signed up on Eventbrite, and uh, <clears throat> and get your slot locked down. We got a lot of folks that uh, are this that this year will be coming, and they want to run together as teams. So that's we're gonna let them do that. We'll let them run together as teams. We had uh, several folks last year uh, running as uh, father and son teams, and then we had father and daughter teams. I posted some pictures up of uh, Kirk Wheeler and uh, and uh, his lovely uh, daughter, uh, and they ran together as a team. They did a great job. She did a really fantastic job. She's a great young shooter, and uh, if you guys want to come together as teams so you have somebody to talk to while you're doing this, we will welcome that. All right, we'll let you guys run together as teams. And uh, and that's all I have to say about that. If you have, if you want any more uh, information, just uh, go to the website and email me through the website, uh, Mike at BattleRoadUSA.com. And uh, and uh, that's that. Uh, uh, the phone lines are still open. If you want to call, 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. If you want to uh, uh, give your local crew a uh, thanks or uh, uh, if you have an after action or you want to promote an upcoming event, you're welcome to do so. And uh, we've got uh, we've got the question now of we know that throughout history, the history of our nation, that is, that there have been times when there have been a lot of folks that uh, that knew what they were about and they knew about rifle marksmanship, and then there have been other times when when folks when it was less that was less the uh, the case. Certainly, uh, at the beginning of our nation, when you think about uh, the folks the the folks in the seventeen 50s, 60s, and 70s. And, of course, you, a lot of folks say, well, you know, they were all uh, hunters and they had to supply food for their table and stuff. But that's not true. Uh, 
there were a great many folks uh, who probably who had no experience whatsoever with firearms and uh, and were not that great a marksman. And you have some of the folks in some of the, uh, like the militia companies, that were. Uh, certainly, whenever you, uh, whenever you as an Appleseed instructor are telling the story and you talk about uh, uh, Davis's men and about uh, uh, Parker's men, we know that uh, Davis had... Uh, uh, his men practicing on a regular basics basis. Uh, there is some information that Parker had his men uh, <clears throat> performing marksmanship drills uh, with their firearms, <clears throat> but a lot of folks didn't. And uh, and then there have been times that we know that. Uh, Certainly, after the uh, American Civil War, you had uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of men who had been doing a great deal of shooting during the war, and a great many of those men probably had not done much, if any, shooting before the war. Uh, But... After the war, uh, there were there were all kinds of shooting cl- uh, clubs and shooting groups that got together, and uh, you see the same thing again after each of our combat engagements that we that we experienced as a nation. In World War II, uh, we had uh, a huge number of American soldiers who had learned uh, to shoot in the military, and then whenever they came home or they transitioned to civilian life, they continued to shoot. This started uh, uh, a large number of the shooting groups and shooting clubs that we have now, and even uh, quite a few of the state uh, rifle associations were begun around this time. When I was a kid, I lived fairly rurally, and I, I shot all the time, and uh, and all of the folks that I knew did. Uh, all of the all of the guys shot, and even all of the girls shot. Uh, but but now I still live rurally, and. And very, very few of the kids growing up now have ever put their hands on a rifle. They've never shot uh, boys or girls. And and here we have the problem because <clears throat> we have generations now of young men and women who are in the pipe, and at some point, they're going to become adults, and they're going to become voters. And if these men and women, these boys and girls, 
now who have never touched a firearm. They've never uh, learned how to safely and uh, and proficiently uh, use a uh, a firearm. Once they become of voting age and some type of uh, question arises that uh, that's to be voted on, they're not going to have a dog in the hunt. They're not going to, to them, it's not going to matter. What do they care? They never did it. So the loss of uh, the loss of something that they never experienced is not going to affect them. And that is a dangerous uh, type situation. So what can we do to fix that? How are we going to fix that? What what are we doing? There's a huge push now by the, the NRA and almost all of the state organizations to, and, and, and don't get me wrong, it's not, this isn't something that's brand new that we're just trying to do now just for the purpose of voting uh, or, or defending the vote. This is something that all of the main shooting groups, like the NRA and the uh, uh, Texas State Rifle Association, uh, all of these state groups and stuff, that they've always done. They've always tried to be there uh, in order to educate the youth. They've always had uh, really pretty good youth programs. And, uh, and like I said, this is... This is very important. This is something that Appleseed does. <clears throat> so with this in mind, how do we make sure that we're doing the best possible job on reaching uh, the youth of America and then getting them involved with the tradition, with the heritage of rifle marksmanship? Uh, certainly, uh, we've gotten we've gotten pretty good at it as far as uh, Appleseed making it making it as easy as possible for kids. We're about as kid friendly as you can get. Uh, we've gone we've worked very hard in order to ensure that we are uh, that we are child friendly, that we're novice firearm users friendly, that we're beginner friendly, and. <clears throat> And I think that is fantastic. Uh, we're one of the few organizations uh, that I know of that uh, that has the ability to have uh, four or five uh, elementary school children or middle school children on one end of the line, and uh, and have some uh, uh, you know some uh, soldiers. Uh, who are getting ready to take uh, the sniper course or uh, uh, designated marksman course or getting ready to deploy on the other end of the line uh, and without having to tweak it, uh, both ends of the line and the middle all get what they came for. And that is a strong uh, course, well thought out course, teaching the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship. But how are we going to reach uh, more Americans doing this? Now, I've covered this from every single direction that I can on the radio show. Uh, I'm not going to go into tonight, I'm not going to go into uh, 
uh, a great deal of specifics on promos because because we do shows on on promos uh, quite often. I do shows on on promos quite often, and uh, and I, but I usually have to sneak them up on the listeners because if I tell folks in advance that I'm going to do a a show about uh, how to get the word out or how to do promotions for apple seed and stuff. I can guarantee you that uh, that great deal of folks will just uh, they'll skip the show and they'll uh, they'll they'll put on something else. They'll plug in Black Hawk Down or who knows what. But they but those are all always usually the shows that have the, the lightest listenership because it's not sexy. It's not exciting to talk about how to promote the program. It's really the most important thing that you will do as a member of the Apple C Project, and that is to promote the program, push the mission forward, and get other folks to attend, right? Because if it stagnates, if it's just a, if it's just a bunch of instructors uh, at an event shooting, then we're, we're, we're failing. Uh, so we always have to be reaching new people. Let's talk about that. Uh, and I don't know, uh, I'll have to get uh, some of the folks involved in this section of it uh, on the show to talk about it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at different times we've had big pushes for homeschooling. And uh, I can tell you right now that that's been one of the, uh, one of the best, uh, one of the best groups that you can work with is the homeschooling groups. I'm trying to read while I'm while I'm talking, all right? Uh, that's to work with the homeschooling groups. And it used to, it used to be hard to figure out uh, how to get in touch with other homeschoolers because the homeschoolers were just kind of uh, like wandering around by themselves out in the woods or something like that and was, because they were hard to get to because they, they weren't making connections. Well, that's all changed, right? Homeschoolers have become more mainstream. And... Uh, they are now, we're all now connected by uh, the Internet and Facebook and everything else, so it's a lot easier to get connected with them. All right, so let me just, let me just say real quickly that I hope that you are looking at homeschool groups. We've got, uh, I've got uh, one of the uh, Appleseed Shoot Bosses, uh, Bullet, <coughs> has set up a, uh, a one-day homeschool shoot the day before the April 19th shoot. She's going to bring in a, uh, a big group of homeschoolers for a Friday shoot. And uh, and this isn't the first time. Uh, she's done this over and over with the homeschooler groups. And if you want a good group of folks to come on your line, I can guarantee you that's the homeschoolers. They're going to be attentive. They're going to be polite. They're going to yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, you. They're going to follow your instructions. They're going to do everything that you ask them to do, and they're going to do it in a polite and professional manner. That's just the way the homeschoolers that I've uh, come into contact with are. The other kids don't expect them to be perfect, but they're going to be a great group, and, and it took very little to get them to come out there. Really, all it's taken so far is just contacting, just finding the right group that is that has the time available and uh, and it is close enough, and they're going to come. So make sure you put 
on your bag of tricks, uh, make a notation for your promotions bag of tricks, make a notation that you're going to devote some time uh, to contacting some homeschool groups. And listen, it's not that hard. You get on the Internet, put in uh, homeschoolers uh, in whatever state you're in, hit that, and it's going to take you to, you know, 10,000 pages. And uh, they've got all kinds of forums, message boards, and everything else now, okay? And I believe because it's an outdoor activity, it's shooting, and it has the history in it, it uh, it satisfies uh, a lot of their requirements. So make sure that you are trying to... Uh, that you're trying to contact these folks. All right, I've got a, I've got a, a Rocket from Wyoming who's ready to talk. Rocket, welcome to the show. You there, Rocket? Yes, sir. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Well, just fine. Better than average, and I'm glad to glad to join your scout. And I appreciate uh, your comments on the homeschooling because we're very involved in that as well. So, Well, have you gotten your uh, homeschool groups to attend an Appleseed yet? What I'm commenting on is the fact I've been involved in it since uh, my first child. I have six, and mm-hmm. the oldest is in college now, and, you know, the youngest is seven, so... The homeschool groups, uh, like I was saying earlier, they used to be, they used to be kind of stuck on their own, and they would be kind of like, uh, you know, not lost, but they would be stuck doing their own things. But now, uh, there's a lot of resources out there, and they have a lot of contacts, uh, and it shouldn't be that hard uh, to make contact with a a homeschooling group and get them to attend an event. No, I called you tonight really to support what we're doing, Appleseed. I'm a redhead here in Wyoming. And so what I really want to talk about is inertia. And I am a retired aerospace engineer. And so inertia is that thing that keeps us from moving, whether it's off the couch or on the right? And so... Yeah, inertia, that pretty much describes all of the aerospace stuff, right? Well, it describes human nature, too, doesn't it? You know, that which you're accustomed to doing, don't change it. I'm here to talk about changing that and getting off the couch. Let's hear it, man. You know, and that's what I'm saying to my friends. Get up, come to an event, Rifleman's Challenge, and it's only a matter of overcoming your own inertia to make a difference in this country. Most people, will they, will they do that two-minute letter to their congressman, their congresswoman? Well, maybe they need help thinking about that. No, it matters. They respond to that. <clears throat> so I don't want to take a bunch of your bandwidth up. <clears throat> I'm committed to the program. I'm committed to making a difference. And my inertia is three ounces when it comes down to freedom. I know how to stand up and go. So, Scout, it's back to you. 
Hey, no problem. You don't you don't got to rush off. I, I want to thank you for calling, and I would sure like for uh, I would sure like for you to uh, have you had any luck with grabbing the the rest of the uh, like the homeschoolers in your area and getting them to attend the event because uh, the folks that I've talked to here they said oh yeah the when they come to a uh, uh, an Appleseed event they said it uh, you know it satisfies their part of their uh, their uh, requirements for doing stuff outdoors and uh, physical activities and uh, the history uh, actually satisfies another section of their uh, of their requirements. Have you had much luck getting the homeschooling groups here in Wyoming to attend? Well, you know, quite frankly, where we are, most of the people I come in contact with, other families, other parents, husbands I hunt with, I talk to, I'm on the fire department, women. I mean, we're all, we're so rural that all that comes naturally. And I don't mean to be right. presumptive presumptuous, but I have my kids involved in high school sports. Two of them are lettering in high school sports. That's great. We know everyone here. We know the high schoolers, public, and we know the homeschoolers. And the homeschoolers, frankly, they're all hunting. (laughs) I know it sounds hard to believe, but we're very rural and we are in the heartland of USA up here. It's cold, but the women shoot, the men shoot. It's natural. And right. so we just like to bring in people that go, wow, could I improve? You know, and in Douglas, Billings, Warland, Casper, Big Piney, Jackson, that's where we do that. But... The average Wyoming person is self-reliant, hard-working. You know, you have to be to be here because it's just, it's, uh, it's just not a free ride. You know, it's a, it's a hard right. country to do. So without getting on that too much, but, yeah, heck, yeah. Uh, most well, of my I, friends I know that, uh, so, yeah. I know that, uh, that that has been a problem with some areas, and that is that uh, that in some areas folks say, uh, look, you know, I'm hunting all the time, I'm shooting everything else, I don't need uh, I don't need any more instruction, and uh, they don't understand that uh, that that what we're doing is not a basics course, but it's a fundamentals. So I know that it's it's hard a lot of times to get folks to uh, you know to attend because of that. Well, listen, keep doing what you're doing. Keep, if there's ever anything that I can do to help, uh, just sing out, man. I'll be glad to go. I'll be glad to lend a hand. And likewise, you know, and Scout, I just, in closing, what you said is right on. You know, people here are, are used to shooting, but when you give them that challenge and that postage stamp, you know, uh, some of them call me back and say, wow, I could learn from you. You know, and so they go to Jackson or Douglas or Casper, but it's great. It's uh, our numbers here are actually quite good. You know, per Fred, we are uh, 10.9 attendees per 100k. California is only 4.3, and Alaska is 22.6. So 
So, you know, the people outnumber the cows and the guns outnumber the, you, you know the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. I look forward to meeting you, brother, and uh, thanks All for right. having me on. Okay, man, you take care. Okay, good night. Okay, that's what the uh that's what uh the phone lines are for. Call in and uh and talk about about what's going on in your area. Because we don't know and everybody's area is different. All right. Places like uh Wyoming, uh and uh I've lived there at different uh, times in my life, places like Wyoming uh are different than other places. Uh the the folks in Wyoming, uh, I would imagine that a good 90% or more of the folks that I knew uh, were shooters there. You know, they were all shooting. And the, uh, you know, the men and the women. <clears throat> so every place is going to be different. Uh but if uh, if anybody else uh, has some stories about their area, or about uh, about being involved with uh, with homeschoolers, then give us a call three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero, and uh, we'd love to hear about it. And uh, and I'm going to tell you that I think that that working with the homeschooling groups is going to be one of the best things that we can do, all right? Uh, one of the easiest. Uh, the other is making sure that uh, that you're talking to the law enforcement in your area. We want to have a good, uh, solid relationship with law enforcement. So make sure that uh, the, the local police department, the sheriff's department, the state uh, police that you're inviting all of them you're working with you know with them to get the you know to let them know that uh what we offer and uh, and then with the military if you have a local military base close <clears throat> drop some flyers off there uh put it on the the uh message boards and stuff that they have for the troops and for the families of the soldiers. Make sure that they know that it's available. Uh, I've mentioned, uh, who knows how many, hundreds, maybe thousands of times, that uh, you can use the uh, community calendars in your areas, all right? Uh, every, there's a community calendar in every single four-way stop town, uh, it's free. It works for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's there, sitting there, working for you. It's going to take you, uh, uh, maybe for the first one, it'll maybe take you 10 minutes to figure it out and post it up there. After that, you can do, you can do one in like five minutes. You can, you know, have the, uh, have a little file that you keep that has all of the information already there that you can just uh, cut and paste into it. And, uh, and click submit, and now that uh, 
that calendar is going to be showing an apple seed for you for to, for folks to, to attend uh, 24 hours a day. All right, and like I said, these calendars are in. There's a, a dozens of them uh, for every little town in America. All right, there there are community calendars for the community, for the city, for the county, for the state. For the television station, you name it, there there com- community calendars everywhere. And because Appleseed is a nonprofit organization, there's a really good chance that they'll allow you to post the events there. And then uh, the Sons of the American Revolution and Daughters of the American Revolution. These are two groups that you can find that are already established in almost every town in America. Almost everyone has a chapter that uh, that you can liaise with and and hopefully uh, develop a relationship with. Our mission and the mission of the uh, SARs and DARs are not that different. We're trying to uh, to tell the story. We're trying to keep the history alive, and and they're doing the same thing. Let me tell you, uh, I've I've personally experienced this and heard uh, from other people that have experienced it. You, If you happen to uh, to link up with a DAR, the Daughters of the American Revolutionary War, and you end up with uh, with some hardcore blue-haired lady that is going to, uh, uh, she's going to get more done to help promote the program than any 10 of your regular Appleseed members. So don't feel like this is something that you're having to do alone, that you're having to shoulder all this yourself. Now, yeah, the responsibility for you is to get linked up with other groups. You need to do that. You're going to have to make the initial contact. But then by spreading this, uh, the responsibility around the groups, you're able to, to have force multipliers with your promotions. Uh, I'm not gonna. I don't have to tell you all of the different places. I mean, a lot of you guys already know the places you're going. You're going to gun shops, and you're making friends with the gun shops there, and you're getting them to promote the the events if you can. You're going to the ranges, talking to the ranges, uh, getting them to help you if you can by making sure they understand that we're not competing with them. We're not trying to steal their business. We're trying to encourage folks to use their facilities, <clears throat> and then. Uh, and then making sure that you are trying to devote uh, at least uh, four or five minutes a day to this. It doesn't take uh, it doesn't take hours and hours. It just takes a few minutes a day, right? If you can lock on and lock yourself into five minutes a day, you'll be surprised at how far this is going to take you uh, in the course of a month. All right. The other thing is to is to not work alone on trying to do promotions. But it's too easy to get distracted. Uh, it's too easy to uh, to take the day off, things like that. Make sure you're working, you have a team doing it, uh, like yourself and two, two other folks. And that will keep you guys honest. That will give you uh, three different heads to, uh, uh, to think up new ideas and three different people to bear the weight of the promotions gig. All right? <clears throat> Uh, okay, we've got uh, 
We've got another caller. We've got uh, Tennessee Chaplin. Tennessee, welcome to the show. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, sir. Hope you are. I'm doing just fine. What do you have for us this evening? Well, I just wanted to, uh, we were exposed to uh, apple seed for the first time last year, and uh, we were we went to some of the shoots in Manchester, Tennessee, and uh-huh. our first one was in April, and uh, my family, we went as a whole, and it was a really good event. Uh, it, these guys, they were very professional. Uh, it was probably one of the best run events that I have been to in a long time. Uh, the information was just top notch. Uh, the guys that run the uh, run the uh, weekend, they did an excellent job. Uh, we've uh, we've we've only, we went to two last year. Uh, we're just getting more and more into it, getting our rifles ready, working on our stuff at home. But uh, uh, I've got a son that's in the uh, that's in the military, and he come in on leave last year after an overseas deployment. And he went to a one in Tacoa, Georgia, with us. And he said, "You know, I learned more in on the Saturday that I learned about marksmanship than I did in basic training." Oh, and absolutely! I thought, really, I thought that was really good. Absolutely, and you know, people think, uh, and 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 maybe you know, growing up, maybe they did learn a whole lot about shooting. But here's the thing that you could uh you can work like with your dad and with your uncle uh, over the next 10 15 20 years and at the end of it you're going to learn a lot about shooting depending on how much you do uh, or you can go into the military or something like that the military doesn't do as much shooting as people think they do a good bit and they uh, and I understand that they've gotten a lot better but here's the thing the, the I think that folks think that the Apsy project folks have been to it that they think that it's a basic shooting program, you know, that it's a, uh, you know, this is a rifle, this is a part that goes against your shoulder, and this is the end that the bullet comes out, and don't get them mixed up, uh, things like that. And they don't understand that program is a fundamentals. So the things that we're teaching folks are the things that you're going to need no matter what, uh, where your shooting path takes you. And that uh, the stuff that you're learning. Well, you know when I went to uh, when I went to the first uh, rifles boot camp back. Uh, shoot, it's been almost eight years now. Uh, there was a guy there, uh, Doug, uh, from Virginia, and he had been shooting competitively for the United States Navy for about 40 years, and mm-hmm. uh, he went through the course with me, and and he learned a lot of stuff. I'm not saying that. It, I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm just saying that he learned a lot of stuff, and uh, you know, I would hear him make comments like, "You know, I wish I, I wish I would have started here, and learned this 40 years ago," because, like I said, the stuff that we're teaching is stuff that that you're that eventually you're going to get by hanging around and shooting with your dad and your uncle and your grandpa and stuff like that. But we're going to try and give it to you all in one weekend. And uh, and that's going to give you a big jump on uh, on a lot of the other ways that you might learn this. We'll give it to you in one weekend, and especially for for kids. Now it works just as well for adults too. But 
uh, you get a good solid two days of rifle safety, and uh, now that's something that that you, we don't talk about, we don't harp on as much, but we have a very very safe program, and we really stress safety, and I think that whenever uh, the young folks and women, and like I said, even adults, even adult men, because they're usually the worst safety rule breakers in the books, but uh, they get a good solid two days of rifle safety. And that goes a long way. That'll, that two days can take you the rest of your life, you know, if you practice those rules. Yes, and it was, and, and from, the, from the time that we arrived at the event, we were so impressed with the safety. Uh, we, had, we had junior, um, young, younger teenagers uh, that were orange hats that were at the event, and and I really liked how that everyone was so professional. You know, I, right. I'm 40, 46 years old, and, you know, there's a 13-year-old, 12, 13-year-old young man explaining to me some things, and, and I'm referring back to him, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, because it, it was a respect factor that was over the whole thing. You know, he had earned right. his arms at, he knew, and and that was so good. For, for I wish other people could have seen it. And you were talking about the homeschool homeschoolers. Uh, we've got uh, we've got quite a few in our church area that are homeschoolers, and we're actually wanting to do something uh, along the apple seed lines later in this area. Once once we qualify as riflemen, several of us, and we can get the interest in this area. But I had four young boys that were homeschoolers. They had, their dad had bought them each a Marlin 60 rifle, and and they understood absolutely nothing about the rifle. Their, their their dad didn't understand anything about the rifle, and they had got dirty and jammed up. I brought them over to the house, set them down, showed them how to take their take their rifles apart and clean them, and in safety worked with them for about two and a half hours, and and when we got done working on the rifles, I talked to them about natural point of aim. These four young men, it was like I'd give them the greatest gift ever. They're, I mean, they were soaking it up. And that's when oh, yeah. up to my buddies in the area, we said, you know, we need to do this. We need to look at the Boy Scouts. We need to look at – and even though that we're not, not riflemen yet, when we do become that way and, and can get more in this area that are interested, you know, the, the homeschool, the Boy Scouts, the things like that, I mean, I know that they would eat it up. Because just to see these young men, the four of them, they they understood what made their rifles tick. Once when I took those two bolts out and started taking their rifle apart and showed them how it operated, oh, man, you empowered them. I mean, they understood what was going on, and their dad works out of state. And I told them, I said, now, here's, here's what I want you to do. When your dad comes back, I want you to sit down with one rifle in a safe environment, and you teach your dad what I taught you. And they were they were so excited that they're going to teach their dad something. Absolutely, you know, and you brought up a, a great point, and I've talked about it before on the show, <clears throat> and that is that uh, I've seen this over and over. I've seen where uh, young men, young women, have come to an event, and and normally here, uh, and I know that uh, we probably do it uh, all around the program, but I, for here, for sure, I do it, and that is. When uh, when families come, you know, I'll talk to the family and I'll say, here's, you know, here's what we'd like to do. We, we'd like for you guys, you can all stay together and shoot. 
but we would like you just to concentrate on your own uh, your own shooting, your own instruction, and allow us to instruct uh, the members of your family. You know, that'll, that'll ease it up on you. You don't have to worry about anything except just your own shooting. We'll take care of the rest. Then we treat these uh, the youth as young adults. And we speak to them as young adults. We speak to them respectfully. And we treat them as young adults. And in a lot of cases, it's the first time where they've ever been out at, in some kind of event or, or doing something like this which is fairly serious, that's using the firearm stuff, uh, that they have been treated uh, as, as young adults, as responsible young adults. And it makes a complete difference in their lives when you're treating them uh, but as a responsible young adult. I mean, it makes a complete difference uh, in, their, in their lives. And uh, I'm not just guessing this. I mean, I've... I've I've had uh, quite a few folks uh, either write me letters or email me or stuff uh, telling me that uh, that that was the case. It was the first time they'd ever been treated as not as a kid, but you know as a uh, you know as a young adult, and uh, and it made a big difference. So whenever you talk about the the young orange hats, now are some of these your kids that are uh, instructing now? No, sir. No, sir. We're all. We're all still at the novice level, but uh, but my youngest is and my youngest is twenty. So so when I took my family, I was taking I was taking older kids. I was taking young men. Okay. Yeah, but we but got. Now the, uh, but now the four, but now the four that I worked with to learn how just the basics. I was working with them at home. They were they were in that nine to fourteen year old range. And that was just some kids from the church that I was working with. You've showed them something, and like you told them, they're going to they're going to show their dad, and they're going to. Uh, I'm sure that they they were very uh, attentive and very serious about it, and uh, and it's the way it's the way that we bring our children from the world of children into the world of adults, and that's the way we do it. Is uh, is by doing things like this and by treating them uh, as young adults in these types of situations. And to me, that's the whole—that's the whole paycheck from doing Appleseed. Yes. Yes. Well, sir, I appreciate you taking time to hear a newbie's point of view tonight, and uh, I wish you the very best. Well, listen. Before you go, let me tell you that. Uh, I'd like you to continue to call in, and uh, you know, every time that uh, you guys do something different or something, and let me know how it's going because it sounds like you have a great plan, and that is to bring the uh, the program to your local groups, and you guys uh, to continue on where you're going and become instructors and bring it to your groups, and then and then start your own Appleseed Project group there with your with your church or with your homeschool group and and build those those young men and young women into riflemen. I mean it sounds like a, a a great plan. And I'm here to help you do that in any way that I can. So you're welcome to call me, email me, anything to uh if you need any assistance, 
or do you need me to help you get set up or anything, I'll be glad to do it. Well, sir, I sure do appreciate it, and I'm sure that we will uh, be talking again soon. All right, be sure and call in whenever whenever you go to another event or something, okay? Have a blessed evening, sir. You too. Uh, that's the, uh, that's it. That's it. I mean, that's the, that's what we're trying to do. That's what, that's what we went, what we want you guys to do. And, and that's it. That's how it's, that's how it's going to work. That's how it's going to get fixed. There's no, there's no fixing it, uh, like on a national level. Uh, or if there is, then somebody else is going to do it. The only way that we're going to fix things, clutter, fixing the mess around our feet, and that means by doing it locally. And I'm talking about with Appleseed and with the rest of the troubles that we're facing. Uh, Sam, uh, my co-host, Sam D., uh, did a show a few weeks ago here about uh, getting involved on a local level and uh, about working through problems locally. That's the only way we're, that we're going to fix this. I, I tell you, I've got I've got no uh, faith in anything national. I think that the gap between where I am and anything national has grown grown so huge. There is nothing but a, a, a black abyss between. Between anything here and, and national, I'm not talking about the national as far as national apple seed, and, and that's also a myth. There's no national apple seed. There's just local guys who are working together uh, to do things nationally. What I'm talking about is is the way that Americans have uh, have grown so dependent on government on on thinking that government is the only answer. The government has to fix this. The government has to come and get me off the roof of my house. Uh, it's never going to work like that. Never, ever, ever. The only way it's going to work is by each of us deciding we're going to fix this stuff for it right where we're standing and then going to our neighbor and saying, hey, neighbor, here's the deal. I'd like for you and I to work together on uh, on making sure that we're good to go, and and we'll watch uh, we'll watch the news and we'll listen to the radio and stuff, but mainly we're going to figure out uh, how to fix the things in our neighborhood ourselves. We're going to fix it ourselves. We're not going to we're not going to ask for anybody's uh, help. We're not going to expect anybody else to do it. We're going to do it ourselves, and that's what I've been trying to do here locally, and uh, and there's some successes, and then there are some failures, and uh, and you will experience the same thing. I'm I'm guarantee you. But that's the only way we're going to fix this is by by working on it at a local level. <clears throat> Mr. Fox, I see him in the chat room. He says he's late to the party from Cleveland, Ohio. Well, welcome to the show. You're welcome to call in, too, uh, Mr. Fox, if you'd like. The number's uh, in the chat room there right up above you. 
If you've got any comments or anything you'd like to say, we'll be glad to listen to you. We've got, uh, let's see, we've got uh, probably about 40-something lines open for the folks that'd like to call. And uh, and I'm not trying to get you to call because I've run out of things to say. If you listen to me before on the show, you know that I can I do a good job of uh, of running my mouth uh, if nobody calls in. But that's not the point of the show. It's not for me to run my mouth. Uh, I, I I would be just as content to have a show that was done by the people who listened. Uh, if each and every one of them called in and they talked, I would be just as happy with that uh, as I would uh, in doing any speaking. So that's the reason we have the lines. We want you guys to talk. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear about your problems and about the way that you've figured out how to fix them, about your ideas, the way that you are addressing uh, the assaults on our liberty, the way that you have figured out how to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation. Because, like I said, that's the way that this is going to get fixed, is by us doing it. There, there, is, there is no way that anybody is ever going to fix this besides us. There's no way. So that's why we have the, that's why I do the show, that's why I have the lines open. And uh, you're welcome to call in, 347-308-8790. Now, the, the American Revolutionary War was eight long years, uh, and that's just during the, like, the actual declared part. There was, there, there was another uh, seven or eight years running up into it, and that was the... Uh, that was the period uh, where things were, where the the events that would lead to the war were being played out. During the war, uh, there were hundreds of battles. And what we're going to do right now is just run through uh, a few of the battles that were fought during the American Revolutionary War in the month of February. Then we'll start out with the Battle of Kettle Creek. This was uh, on February 14, 1779. Uh, there wasn't in, in 75, there weren't any uh, battles until April. In 76, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, Battle of Morris Creek Bridge uh, was fought. And uh, then in 77, we had uh, the battles of uh, uh, Trenton and Princeton. That was in January. And remember we had from, uh, from January 20th until, uh, until around the, the middle of March, the forage wars were being fought. We discussed that during the last show. And that was the way that uh, that, the, that that both sides, during their while they were in winter quarters, they still had to have food and uh, forage, which is the uh, the hay to feed their animals. They had to have the 
the food for their animals and for their men. They had to go out and they had to go and get it. While they were doing it, they would run into each other. And we discussed that uh, uh, last week, I believe. Now, the Battle of Kettle Creek was actually uh, a fairly major encounter. It was in the back country of Georgia. And uh, it was fought uh, about 13 miles or so from present-day Washington, Georgia, in Wilkes County. And uh, what happened was there was a uh, a force of the Patriot militias that defeated and scattered a loyalist militia force that it was on that was on the road headed toward the uh, British-controlled Augusta. The uh, the this particular victory demonstrated the inability of the British forces to hold the interior of the state, or actually even to protect even a even fairly sizable numbers of loyalist recruits who were outside their immediate protection. That means that you would have these groups of loyalist militias that uh, wanted to work with the with the British, but because the British only held certain uh, uh, large uh, uh, population centers and stuff, they couldn't protect the the loyalist forces. <clears throat> so that was a problem for the loyalist forces because they. If the groups felt like that they weren't protected, then then they weren't going to to be nearly as as effective. Uh, the next battle uh, the Battle of Young's House. Uh, this was a skirmish fought outside uh, New York City between the British and American forces. On February 3rd, 1780, uh, then what happened here was uh, a British force attacked and destroyed a Commonwealth Army outpost uh, over in Westchester County. Now, following the, the the British Army's successful occupation of New York City in 76, uh, the areas that were surrounding that city that were between the the American lines and the British lines came became kind of like a no man's land, and uh, these areas included Westchester County uh, in New York and Greenwich uh, in Connecticut, and uh, these were frequently areas that were raided by both sides. Uh, and at the end of 1779, the no man's land there included uh, Terrytown and White Plains, New York. The American lines weren't that far north of this area. Uh, they extended into the Mount Pleasant area. It was an outpost at Four Corners, which is today is uh, uh, the Thornwood section of Mount Pleasant. And uh, it occupied a, a, you know, a, pretty, a pretty good piece of ground. Uh, and it was fought over you know, several times. Uh, the first encounter between the two was uh, was of the British force and a picket guard uh, consisting of one sergeant and a squad and they engaged the British but they were quickly overwhelmed by mounted uh, infantry and captured 
the British cavalry then rode on toward the house that was at the outpost, and uh, they took up positions on the, the right of the house. After they began firing at long range, the cavalry halted, wait for the infantry, who uh, came up uh, in about uh, in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes after the arrival. Uh, they began a exchange of gunfire between the three American companies and the British forces, which lasted about 15 minutes. But the numerically superior British force ended up flanking the Americans, successfully occupying the orchard that was behind the house, and uh, ended up breaking the uh, American line and uh, and capturing the force there. The uh, next battle was the Battle of Cowan's Ford. And this was... Uh, uh, this was in the southern theater of Cornwallis's campaign and uh, uh, the campaign that he fought there from 1780 to 82 whenever he was uh, forced to surrender. It was fought on February 1st, 1781 at Cowan's Force. It was on the Catawba River in uh, the northwestern Mecklenburg County in North Carolina. Uh, between a force of about 5,000 British and uh, right under 1,000 Americans were attempting to slow the British advance across the river. This is when uh, Cornwallis' force was marching after uh, uh, General Davidson's force, and these guys were set up to try and slow them down while they were crossing the river. And... Uh, uh, the way it played out, well, I'll tell you what, let me, I'm, gonna, I'm going to just quickly burn through these because uh, because we don't have time to, to go into each one. I'm hoping that whenever I mention these battles to you, that you will go and research them. If there's one that, that sounds like it's a, an exciting piece of history to you, that you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, gonna to read some more about that. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. Just trying to stimulate your interest in this, and let you know that uh, that there were hundreds of individual battles and engagements fought during the eight years. Uh, <clears throat> there is uh, there was the uh, Battle of Piles Massacre. Uh, which is also known as Powell's Hacking Match, or the Battle of Hall River. Uh, this was fought uh, in Orange County, North Carolina, present-day is uh, all uh, County in North Carolina, on February 24, 1781. This was fought between the Patriot and Loyalists in the North Carolina the militia troops. Uh, the Patriot leader, Henry Lee, uh, deceived the Loyalist militia fighting under Dr. John Pyle, and they're thinking he was the British commander, Bannister Tarleton, and uh, he was sent to meet them. Uh, and the, the most commonly accepted account of the battle, and this is pieced together from reports from Lee and Captain Joseph Graham, uh, Graham indicates that, uh, that that Lee was using deception to make the loyalists think that he was a banished for Tarleton uh, there to meet them 
and uh, ended up the battle ended up uh, being kind of a uh, uh, a very uh, uh, kind of a surprise and uh, an unregulated uh, type of battle. Uh, I'm going to let you guys read more about that yourself. Uh, and now, one of the things, I've got uh, two battles here that I want to talk to you about real quick. Because I want uh, you to understand that when we think about the American Revolutionary War, we think about uh, uh, we think about the the North Bridge and uh, and uh, Waxhaws and the Battle of Brooklyn, uh, but the American Revolutionary War was actually one of the the first uh, world wars. Uh, it was fought almost all over the globe. On uh, the 17th of February, 1782, near uh, present-day uh, Kalpakam, <clears throat> the Battle of Sadras was fought. And uh, this was the, the first battle of five uh, largely really indecisive naval battles fought between the British fleet under uh, Admiral Sir Edward Hughes and the French fleet under the uh, Ballet de Suffren. And this was off the coast of India uh, during the American Revolutionary War. Uh, the battle was tactically indecisive. Nobody, it wasn't a, a determined winner or lo a loser, but the British fleet suffered the most damage. And the troop transports the Suffern was protecting were able to land their troops uh, successfully at Porto Novo. Uh, the American Revolutionary War wasn't being just fought in just in America. Uh, it uh, it had uh, it 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 tangled up uh, many nations, and it was fought all across the globe. Uh, there was also the Battle of Grand Turk, and this was getting close to the end of the war uh, on the 9th of March, 1783. And this was uh, a battle fought uh, at sea and uh, and by the French uh, landing forces and Marines uh, on the uh, uh, the Grand Turk uh, Islands. These are just east of the uh, Bahamas. And uh, this is where uh, the French had seized the Turks and the uh, Caicos Archipelago. These were, uh, these were salt islands. And the British responded uh, by sending uh, the 28-gun frigate HMS Albemarle uh, with a force of more than 100 men under the command of Captain Horatio Nelson uh, to retake the islands. Now the mission failed. Uh, Nelson tried to land his troops and uh, assault the islands, but he was repulsed because where he where he tried to make his assault was heavily defended by coastal guns and uh, and by a large force of French defenders there on the beach. <clears throat> so he ended up uh, uh, doing a tactical retreat and sailing off. Regardless, the the islands, even though they were held by the French, 
were returned to the British uh, during the the peace treaty afterwards. But it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just fought in America. It was fought all over. Now we had naval forces that were fighting at sea. Uh, not much of a navy at the time. Most of our forces were privateers, uh, you know, private uh, private sailing ships outfitted with letters of marquee from the, from our government to sink, burn, or make prize of any uh, enemy combatant ships. But it was fought all over the globe, uh, from America to South America to India and Africa, uh, Europe, you name it. It was fought all over. All right. Uh, okay, hold on a second. We got. Uh, thought we. Had, I thought you were telling me that we had another. Uh, another caller, Sam. Maybe I'm wrong. If we do, we do. Just uh, let me know. It looks like it says it's a person just listening. <clears throat> okay. Uh, the last thing I want to cover real quick is uh, is the fact that <clears throat> that the time to make sure that you are working on your preps and stuff is right now today. While there is no uh, natural or man-made disaster that's preventing you from doing so, right? Uh, that's the whole point of prepping is preparing for something to happen. Not uh, we don't want to call ourselves responders. We don't want to respond to natural or man-made disasters. We want to prepare for them. So in order for you to, uh, unless you're a millionaire and you can just uh, you can tell your assistant, look, uh, here's a couple of million bucks to go out and make sure I'm ready. And even if that's the case, you need to be doing that uh, in advance of whatever's going to happen. So we need to make sure that we're working on our preps uh, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And one of the first things that you should probably think about is your vehicle because when we think about preparing for any type of a bad situation, we need to think about it in terms of most likely to least likely to occur. And what's the most likely thing to occur? It would be something like uh, you get injured or, you know, you break your leg or, or, or there's a couple of days of ice or there's flooding or there's a so there's a fire that that uh, comes after your your home or your property or something like that, right? And in most of those cases, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to uh, either going to have to go and get supplies or you're going to have to get out of there. If you are injured, you're going to have to go to the doctor or to the hospital. And the way you're going to get there most times is in your vehicle. So the very first thing you need to think about is that your vehicle needs to be in good shape. If something happens to you or your family members and uh, and there is some type of problem with your vehicle, you're going to be in trouble. Now, that's all the way from uh, having ball tires or a bad transmission or a clutch that's going out or an alternator starter or a bad battery to not having enough fuel in the tank to get you to the hospital. Uh you know, my grandfather would always tell me and my dad after that that it doesn't cost any more money to keep your tank full than it does uh, to go and fill it up. That means that uh, if you're on the way home uh, from work or something, 
and you got three quarters of a tank of fuel, then you stop and you finish filling it up the rest of the way. You keep your tank full. Then you keep uh, at least uh, a five-gallon can of gas in your home, uh, in your garage or something, so that uh, if you had to go somewhere and you weren't sure of, uh, of how much gas it was going to take to get there or that you could get gas, you'll have an additional five gallons. Uh, whenever all the people were fleeing from Katrina and Rita, that's what was happening to everybody. That's why, even if they, even if, even if they made all the freeways go one direction, it didn't matter because it, the traffic was backing up, not from people uh, trying to to get out who couldn't get out because there weren't enough lanes. It was because vehicles began to die on the highway because they ran out of fuel. They ran out of fuel, and there were no gas stations that had fuel because the people, the first uh, 100,000 people fleeing from the city didn't have any gas. So they sucked up all the gas out of the gas stations. Gas stations don't have millions of gallons. They've got, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15,000 gallons at each station, and it has to be replaced, uh, you know, usually once, twice, three times a week. Make sure that your fuel tank is full and that you have an additional gas there, that your tires are good, that your battery is charged up, that uh, all of your car is working. You have a good belt uh, on your alternator, your starter, or your serpentine. Make sure that they're all good. <clears throat> Make sure that you have some water in your vehicle. If you have uh, uh, a tarp in your trunk, make sure that your spare tire is good that it holds air and that it is indeed aired up in your trunk, that it's not uh, flat in there. <clears throat> Make sure that you have a jack, a jack handle, a lug wrench. Make sure that that stuff is all in there and ready to go. And then uh, make sure that you have... Uh, <clears throat> It won't uh, it won't hurt you to have, like I said, some water in your vehicle, some extra water for drinking, some extra water to put in your radiator. If you're sitting on the freeway uh, and uh, you're backed up in traffic trying to get out of somewhere and your vehicle starts heating up, you may need to put some more water in it. Make sure that you have, uh, that you keep at least a minimal amount of first aid gear in your vehicle. Uh, there's uh, uh, we'll have a uh, we'll have a full show on the uh, on the vehicle, but this is just something that I want you to start thinking about. Make sure that your vehicle is ready to go, and uh, and don't let it sit there at uh, at your house with uh, an eighth of a tank in it. It doesn't cost any more to keep it filled to. Uh, I want to thank everybody who is listening tonight and uh, the folks that will be listening uh, over the, the course of the next uh, few weeks or so in the archives. We're running up right up on uh, uh, half a million downloads of the show so far. And uh, I want to remind you guys that uh, if you'd like to come to the uh, end of the world as we know it, uh, zombie destruction run and gun, go to BattleRoadUSA.com and get signed up. We'd love to see you there, all right? Okay, guys, uh, thanks again for listening. Sam D, thank you very much for uh, for being here with me every week. And uh, we'll see you guys this next uh, week. 
And I'm still trying to work out the details to get uh, Farfel on the show. And uh, and we'll see you this next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Uh, I put a link. I put a link in the email that I sent out uh, for the uh, uh, for a newsletter. Okay, guys. So uh, be sure and click on that link, fill it out, so that we can get the information to you. Can't.